All right, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the ways that you uh, are so faithful to us. And in this month dedicated to uh, life, in this month dedicated to our Blessed Mother, in this month dedicated to the Holy Rosary, I ask that you would give us the grace, Father, to come into the riches, to come into the, the wealth of graces that you have put into our hands, that you have made available to us. Lord, help us not hold back. Help us to overcome passivity. Lord, just give us that grace to take action today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just a, a quick word of consolation to the Mariners fans out there. Um, and I do have a smile on my face. I'm sorry to say it's Tuesday, and that means it's the it's actually the day of the wild card uh, game, the wild card game in the American League, which features two teams you may have heard of before, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Yes. Now, those of you that follow baseball um, know that Seattle, the Mariners, have been in a large drought, like a 20-year drought, like longest of any major league team um, without reaching the playoffs. And so this year, you know, it started off strong and then it kind of faded off. And then, wow, there was this resurgence, really, in the last two months. And Seattle has just pushed forward, pushed forward, and the Mariners, they were right there, right there. And and what they needed was on Sunday to have either the Yankees or the Red Sox lose, and they had to win in order to be able to play four, to play a game that if they won that game would then allow them to play the wild card game, which is one and done, right? So here we are, it's Tuesday, and Either the Yankees or the Red Sox are going home after this one game. And it's it's amazing when you think about it because when you have a season that's 162 games long, you'd think by the time the 162, the second game happens, that things would be pretty clear. You know, who's going to get in and who's going to be out, right, in terms of uh, the playoffs. And sure enough, on the last day of the season, there were still four teams vying for two playoff spots, right? The Yankees and the Mariners and the Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays did their part. They won, but uh, because they were tied with the Mariners, one game behind the Red Sox and Yankees, they needed some help. They needed some help from either the Red Sox or the Yankees to lose. And uh, both of those teams decided to play very dramatic games. (laughs) The Yankees winning in the bottom of the ninth after a 0-0 scoreless game until the bottom of the ninth. And sure enough, with one out, uh, they end up one out, maybe, I think it was one out. Yeah, one out. Uh, they uh, Aaron Judge hit a single, and sure enough, they scored. And the Red Sox had to come from behind uh, to beat the Washington Senators uh, in order to maintain their position in the wild card game. And so uh, the, the thing about it was, it, people say, isn't it amazing playing meaningful baseball this late in the season? right? Like little things matter. Like just for instance, 
the Red Sox playing the Yankees today, it's a wild card game and it's one and done. Well, guess what? It's in Boston, not in New York. They didn't flip a coin, but they played 19 games this season. 19 games this season. And the Red Sox won 10 and the Yankees won 9 of those 19 games where they've played against each other because the Red Sox won one more game than the Yankees did in their head-to-head competition, 10 to 9. The playoff game gets to happen in Boston. And that's a significant advantage when you're the home team, and especially when there's so much at stake in a playoff game. So I'm going into all of this for a reason. You do know there's always a theological reason for these types of uh, like breaking open of human experiences. And I thought it would be helpful and relatable for those of you that follow any, uh, any have any connection at all with the Mariners who, if you were around in the mid-90s into the early 2000s, it was a really amazing time to be a Mariners fan. And that's when I caught on board because of Kerry. So I got to be around with Griffey, uh, with Ken Griffey Jr. and uh, the big unit, right? Randy Johnson and just so many really cool Ichiro and uh, Alex Rodriguez and so many really cool memories um, from uh, from that time. Uh, but it's been 20 long years, just a huge drought. And, um, and so remember the phrase I just used? It's a phrase that you'll sports commentators will use. It's, it's great to play meaningful games this close to the end of the season. It's great to play meaningful games this close to the end of the season. Wow, did you realize that that one game mattered so much? There was a lot at stake in that game. There was a lot at stake in this season when the Red Sox ended up winning 10 to 9, and now they get home field advantage. They get to have the home game. Well, that's a lot like our lives, brothers and sisters. That's a lot like our lives. No matter how far into the season of life that you are, you're in the midst of a meaningful game, the game of life here. You are in the midst of meaningful times. What you do matters. How you live your today has an impact. What you choose to do or not do, say or not say, act or hold back, it really matters. There's a lot at stake right now. If you've listened to Sound Insight, especially in the last, well, really for 15 years, when pressing political issues that um, rise to the level of the ballot box appear, I am not shy about promoting the Catholic Church's teaching as it applies and shines a light on these issues to help inform you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who are called to be faith-filled citizens, faithful citizens who bring your faith to bear in your daily life. And if you've been around, you know, well, if anyone with their eyes wide open in the last year and a half, it is plain to see that these are meaningful times as it concerns being salt, light, and leaven in this world, shining the light of Christ in this world, trying to discern and take action as it concerns the pressing matters that are uh, impinging upon our lives and the lives of our state, the lives of our community. I'm thinking, for instance, of this comprehensive sexuality education and the horrors, the devastation, the damage, the incredibly 
negative impact that it is having and will have on the lives of these precious students who are having their innocence stripped away, having forced upon them images, conversations, uh, ideas that run completely counter to healthy development of human sexuality and the vision of sexual identity and sexuality as it relates to our Catholic and Christian faith. But if we're passive, if we just busy ourselves with the things that matter to us, then we might miss out on the things that matter to God. And let's just recall, please recall, that we did not choose to live in times such as these. We were chosen by God to live in these times. These times were chosen for us, and we were chosen for them. And what that means is, is that you have a part to play. You have a part to play. You know, just like uh, pinch hitters get up there and they played a part in these different victories. Pitchers got out there and, and they played a part by how they performed. Batters got up there at, when there was a lot at stake and they were able to perform or not. And some win and go on and some lose and go home. And, you know, as as dramatic as it is to be able to make the playoffs or even flash forward, whoever goes forward in further into the playoffs and these division series, pennant series, and then world series, big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal at a human level and one level, but really it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. But what does matter is the mission for which you were created. The mission, the purpose for which you, with your gifts, your abilities, your experiences, your age and stage of maturity in life, that the Lord planted you here, that he has something for you to do. And one of the things that has become apparent to me is this word passivity. This passivity that too often grips Catholic men. Okay, I use that phrase very intentionally, Catholic men. Men and Catholic men. I say passivity. Well, it's funny because we live in a time of intense activity where guys are so busy doing things. But when it comes to the things that matter the most, shining the light of faith into this world, standing up, speaking out, and pushing back against the darkness and the spiritual attacks that are coming against the people of God, the people of America, the people of Washington State, and our innocent kids, who's going to fight the battle? Who's going to stand up? And this is where I see too much passivity. Passivity can take the form of a lack of initiative or hesitancy. And this all begins in the home, right? When I, when I encourage men, when I have a chance to speak to men, I, I'm often encouraging them, guys, take initiative in your home when it comes to praying, being a spiritual leader, bringing up topics that matter, having um, questions and conversations around the dinner table, or when you're driving in the car, or uh, inquiring about what's happening in your kids' lives. There can be such a hesitancy to bring up topics associated with faith, to bring up um, your kids' lives of faith, or 
what it is we take action as it concerns developing the spiritual lives of our families. There's a hesitancy, and Aquinas gives insight into this. He says sometimes the hesitancy is this, that as we move forward towards the good thing that we want to achieve, as we move forward, as we attempt to move from our current status and we attempt to move towards the good thing, he says the resistance increases. The resistance, the pressure, the, uh, the weight that is holding us in place increases as we try to move out of it. He talks about this in, this, in the Summa Theologica as it relates to sadness. And he talks about the, the way in which sadness weighs us down, can, um, uh, can weigh us down, it, it, it narrows our vision, and it can consume us, and it, and it introduces a kind of inner pain in our lives, this inner sense of deadness and darkness, this inner kind of suffering. And he says, we stay in it because the attempt to move out of it, the attempt to move to a better place, that place that we believe is going to bring light, it actually increases it. Did you ever feel, did you ever experience that? I have. I mean, you must have experienced this, right? It's like, it's, it's uncomfortable being where I'm at, but the attempt to move out of it, it's too much. Here, I'll give you a great example. This is a simple, simple little thing. I know it's so trivial, but Ariana, um, my senior, was out visiting um, Mary Catherine, my freshman at Franciscan University. She was out there for like a homecoming weekend, homecoming like, you know, uh, for graduates to come back and visit. And Ariana went out to, to visit with uh, Mary Catherine to check out Franciscan for herself for potentially next year. And um, they, in these days, right, you don't really rely on taxis. What do you rely on? You rely on Uber or Lyft, on one of those kind of car companies, right? If, if in fact, you don't, you miss a shuttle, if, you, if there's not a shuttle or someone picking you up. And so Ariana, um, ended up taking an Uber on the way in. And, and now it's Sunday afternoon and she's trying to get back to the airport. This is, uh, just two days ago. Right. And, um, and she calls me, she says, dad, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, what do you mean? She says, well, I'm trying to get back to the airport. Right. This is now like two and a half hours before her flight. And I'm like, well, Uber, she says, dad, there are no cars available. And that can happen certain times and days and locations just don't have a lot of Uber drivers around. And I said, what about the shuttle? The last shuttle left at one. It was now four o'clock. And she's like, what am I going to do? And the answer was, Mary Catherine, you have to go ask students that are here on campus. Ask your friends, ask your roommate, ask the people in your hall to give a ride. Can somebody give your sister a ride to the airport? And what was her answer? Well, her answer was Thomas Aquinas and the Summa Theologica. <laughs> what does that look like? I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So here it is. My senior in high school, Ariana, is at Franciscan University in the dorm room of her, do uh, her sister, Mary Catherine, and they're trying to find a ride back to the airport. And they're like, Dad, what, what they're saying to me is, Dad, rescue me. Dad, solve this problem. Figure it out. And I didn't have an easy answer. I'm like, well, I can try to call a taxi service. Well, we actually did reach a tax taxi service, and sure enough, their driver wasn't going to come in in time <laughs> to solve their problem. And so I said, the answer is, Mary Catherine, you have to contact 
the people that are around you. And she says, Dad, I, you know how much I hate doing that. I just, it's, I hate asking people for stuff. It's just awful. It's just is the, wor- the thing I'm the worst at. And, and sure enough, that was the thing. It was funny because she wanted the good thing. She wanted to help her sister get to the airport, of course. She didn't want her sister to miss the plane. Her sister's starting to stress out. And, and, and yet the answer was, you have to face what inside you, you resist. And the very thought of her reaching out and asking people that she barely knew or just met to do something that would be, in her mind, extraordinary. Can you give my sister a ride to the airport and we'll pay you? It was too much. She was paralyzed. Could not do it. Well, thanks be to God and uh, my guardian angels going to Padre Pio. By the way, that's something I've started to do more. St. Padre Pio one time said to one of his spiritual children, there were these like Padre Pio prayer groups around the world, and one of his spiritual children um, uh, was having trouble getting to communicate with him or see him, um, like to visit him. And he said when he finally saw this like spiritual daughter, this would be like an adult who went to San Giovanni Rotondo to the monastery to visit Padre Pio. He said, why didn't you just send your guardian angel to talk to my guardian angel and tell me the problem and we'll take care of it. Just send your guardian angel next time to take care of the issue. So remembering that story, I'm like, okay, Padre Pio, help me out, please. I'm sending my guardian angel to you, and you know, being in heaven, he, he's aware of things on earth, and so I have a, a dear devotion to St. Padre Pio, and I'm like, Padre Pio, it's in your hands. I cannot rescue these girls. Um, you see all that resistance in Mary Catherine, figure it out. And then shortly after that, I got a text message from Ariana saying, I got a ride. And it wasn't the taxi, it wasn't an Uber appeared, it was... Um, someone, uh, a friend of hers that she had met, knew someone who said, I can drive you to the airport. And so it all got worked out. I wasn't going to be able to solve the problem, but it was a movement in my daughter's life from passivity, hesitancy, and the increased resistance, the reluctance, that paralyzing fear that said, I can't do this. And it was stopping her from achieving the good thing. Now, that's like a ride to the airport. Oh, yeah, there was a lot at stake in that. Well, she wasn't going to make her plane. We'd have to cancel and get her on another plane. It'd probably be expensive and this and that, and she'd be not get back in time for school on Monday, today. I'm, I'm recording this on the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Not that much at stake. Not that much at stake. Um, another example. So today... Uh, on the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, that, that was yesterday, I'm recording this on Monday night, um, I, um, I was going to go to Mass at St. Mary's Father Lewis's parish at 5.30. And so the plan was I was going to pick up John Mark from his soccer practice and have him leave early, get over there for 5.30 Mass. Well, I had a miscommunication with Kerry. Kerry, I thought, was going to swing by the school and pick him up after coordinating with another kid's volleyball game. And there was a miscommunication. She was going to drop off shoes so he could go to mass, not take him to mass. <laughs> so anyways, I'm driving to the church and I'm like, 
oh, Carrie, she called me up. And I said, so do you have John Mark with you? And are you heading over to St. Mary's? And she says, uh-oh, I had a different message in mind. And I'm like, well, what do we do? And so we didn't have many options. And the best option, what we ended up deciding on, was I turned left, stopped heading towards the church, went over to the school, picked John Mark up, and we headed back to the church for Mass. But it meant that we were going to be late. And sure enough, we were late. Um, and so I don't know if you ever do this. If you're late for Mass, you can look up the daily readings on the Bishop's Conference website, usccb.org, usccb.org. And so um, we had a chance to, John Mark read them uh, in the car on the way to the church. And then um, and we got there um, just as the Liturgy of the Word was finishing. And so um, we still were there for Mass. Well, um, where there was something at stake, where there was like more at stake, but it was going to require a willingness to overcome passivity, a willingness to take initiative, to not let hesitancy or resistance stop you, or stop me in this instance, was when it came time for Holy Communion. There was a priest that we didn't know. I think he was he's a retired priest, sort of filling in for, um, for Father Lewis and uh, the other priest in residence. They weren't around. I don't know where they were, but um, this priest was there, and um, as the uh, assembly came forward for Holy Communion, everyone receiving communion in the hand. And uh, it's our custom to receive communion on the tongue. And the woman in front of John Mark also wanted to receive communion on the tongue, but the way that the priest, this retired priest, had presented communion, it was he was looking only down towards the hands of the communicant. And so the woman got a little flustered, like surprised, and, and wasn't sure what to do, so she received in her hand. And, um, and then John Mark came forward, and... Um, and he, in, in the face of this moment, just chose to receive a blessing instead of receiving communion um, out of a sense of reverence for the reception of Jesus on the tongue, that that has been instilled in him that such that that's the way that he'll receive communion or he'll make a spiritual communion if he's uh, put into a position where he would have to receive it on the hand, um, receive communion in the hand. And that's him, okay? So I'm just telling you that's that was his situation. And so um, I then presented myself for communion, and I simply kept my hands folded, and, and, um, and I was able to receive communion on the tongue. And so afterwards, after Mass, um, I said to John Mark, I said, do you want to receive communion? I said, uh, the priest is still here. He just processed out. I can go ask him for you. And there was hesitancy. There was a sense of awkwardness, a sense of resisting taking that kind of action. And I said to him, I got you covered. Let me go ask. You don't have to go ask. I'll go ask just in case he, the priest, for whatever reason, would refuse. You don't have to face that. And so I went up to the priest, and, and uh, he was very kind, very kind. He says, oh, I didn't realize he wanted to receive on the tongue. He just he presented himself for a blessing, and he was very gracious And um, after Mass and went back to the tabernacle and um, gave 
John Mark Holy Communion. And um, after uh, a time of Thanksgiving, um, we went out to the car, and he thanked me. And, and as he did, all I could think of was, what was at stake in that? What was at stake? He was, John Mark was willing to say, it's okay, Dad, don't, don't press the issue. You don't have to do that. It's fine. And I'm like, no, I'm a father. I'm going to go before him. I'm going to break through any kind of hesitancy or resistance. I really didn't have any, but <laughs> just to say, to make the request. And um, I was ready to quote canon law on the right of the, the, the baptized to receive Holy Communion on a daily basis. <laughs> but it, it, none of that was required. Uh, the priest was very kind and gracious, as I said. Um, but what? The big deal was this, was that what difference did that make in his spiritual life? What difference did that make? And the answer is, we won't know until heaven. We won't know until heaven. But what the church teaches is that the reception of Holy Communion increases sanctifying grace. Did you hear that? increases sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is the life of God, divinity. It increases your participation in God's life. It increases your share in divine life when you receive Holy Communion worthily with devotion, with faith, in a state of grace. And what impact does that have? Well, one way of saying it is your you know the cup which symbolizes sort of life in heaven is a cup filled to overflowing his cup is bigger because of that holy communion and for how long will that bigger cup be impacting his life well forever forever i got to impact my sons forever because i went and advocated for him with the priest that he would receive Holy Communion. And there was something also about the Feast of St. Francis. John Mark's birthday was Sunday. He has a great devotion to St. Francis, whose feast day was Monday, uh, because of that nearness in birth day. But also, his spirituality is very Franciscan. He has a deep love of animals. And I, I, and I, tell, you this, I tell you the truth. This is something that I've never seen before, but I saw it with him, that um, he, um, when, we were, when he was a little boy in the backyard of my home in uh, Massachusetts, um, he was able to put his hand out, his index finger, like just put it up in front of him and extended it, and a dragonfly came and landed on his finger. Now, what is that? dragonfly came and landed on his finger and he was also able to when the dragonfly was on a plant he was able to kind of just with his hand take it and cover the dragonfly turn it and scooped it up in his hand and he was looking at it on his palm before it flew off now that's just not a thing (laughs) who can do that and i i don't it, it just it sort of leaves me speechless but that sense of a love of animals is definitely, that sense of communing with God's creation, right, in nature is, is a very much a Franciscan thing. So he has um, a, a real love of St. Francis and wanted to be sure to go to, to Mass 
um, on the Feast of St. Francis and receive Holy Communion. And so for me, it was one of those little things where, you know what, it almost got dislodged because of a miscommunication um, with Carrie and me around who was going to pick him up. And I had even a momentary little thought that said, well, you know what, I'm going to be late for Mass, I'm just going to go. And Carrie said she was willing to go home, drop off the kids, and then go back and get John Mark, but he was going to miss all of Mass then. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do this. This is, that that was no-brainer. And then to advocate for him to receive Holy Communion, that it'll impact his eternity. Wow, there's a lot at stake in that. You know, these are meaningful games, meaningful times. There, there, there's a difference that can be made. Now, you might be listening to this stuff, and I'm, I'm used, I used a couple of very human, simple examples, but how, how you live today matters. How you live today matters. You can receive, maybe you're not going to help someone else receive Holy Communion directly, the way I helped John Mark, but you can help receive Holy Communion, help others receive Holy Communion indirectly. It's something that I have definitely increased my own um, spiritual practice is receiving Holy Communion on behalf of others, on behalf of those who are in difficult circumstances, those who are sick, those who are struggling, or my kids who are not making it to daily Mass, um, or my wife, if she's not, ma- if she's not with me, um, to receive Holy Communion for them. With a, it just, what does that do? It increases my sense of devotion. It increases my sense of fervor. It increases my sense of I am here not only for myself. I'm here on behalf of others. I'm here on behalf of so many others. Isn't that what our lives about? Is to pour out our lives for others. You can do that by how you go to mass. How about by how you pray your morning prayer? Or how about in this month dedicated to the Rosary, coming up to the feast of Our, our Lady of Victory, Our Lady of the Rosary? More to say on that later. But how about pray a Rosary for your family? You've, you, what you do not know is how God is going to use that to make a difference. But what you can know, what you can know in the, in the core of your being is that God is using it to make a difference. You may not see it. You may not know how. You may not see the fruit of it here while you're alive. But what the Lord is sowing into the hearts and minds of those you're praying for, what the Lord is preserving, protecting, and setting free your loved ones from, that you just don't know. You just don't know that as you are prompted and you pray, God is at work. Because God is the one who's prompting you to pray. And God will use that prayer. He will use that prayer in ways that you can't imagine. So, uh, and, and you might see the signs, right? You might you might discover that what they are later, but don't doubt this. You, you know, I, I, all this began with the the Mariners playing meaningful games at the end of the season. You might be in the again the final season of your life. You might be an empty nester. You might not have any kids living with you. You might not have a lot of people around you. You might be a widow or a widower. Um, and, and I'm telling you. My dear, sweet brother and sister in Christ, what you do today matters. The, the church is under spiritual attack. The church is, it's not that we're going and finding uh, uh, enemies. No, they're coming at us. And in your prayers, your fasting, your acts of offering up your sufferings, difficulties, trials, tribulations, when you offer those things up, the Lord it will use those things to bless, protect, and set free his people. More on this in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm saying that 
the moment we live in, it is, again, you were chosen for this moment. And that means right now, the, the current state you're in, you can offer that up to the Lord and he will use it to strengthen others, right? Uh, I, I've talked a, a lot, and I was talking about this at St. Monica's on Thursday night at Our Lady Star of the Sea on Friday and Friday night to all of these parents. Um, and, and the theme was how a classical model of education offers insights to us about what it takes to be a disciple today. If we're going to be missionary disciples, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ that make a difference in the world today, there are certain features of our faith that shine in a particularly bright light when you focus on the theme of classical education, like the themes of the trivium with grammar, logic, rhetoric, which impacts the memory, reason, and the will, the aspects of truth and goodness and beauty. And ultimately, these this is a liberal arts mode of educating. Liberal, it comes from the root in Latin of freedom. It's all about free, being free to flourish, right? So these were the, the themes that I was talking about on Thursday night and Friday night. And the reason why because this becomes so pressing today is the moment we're living in, this shift in the culture, right? Where 30 years ago, I had a seat at the table, the church had a seat at the table. We could be relentlessly positive and try to draw people to Jesus Christ as, um, as this radiantly attractive one who um, offers uh, freedom and flourishing through following him. Um, and the church as, a, as an institution had a respected voice. Not any longer, brothers and sisters. Now it's um, sit down, be quiet, and go away. That's the message to the church, the church that is often despised and discredited as, as it concerns its public role, despised and discredited because of the positions we take on life, on the person, on sexuality, on sexual identity, on marriage, on family, on the beginnings and endings of life. Uh, just speak out the church's teaching out loud and you'll be despised and discredited. And and these are the things that matter the most. These are the things that matter the most. Not the World Series rings, right? Not Super Bowl rings and not fame and fortune as the world sees it. No, the things that matter to God. Well, God, eternal life, ultimate truth and beauty and goodness and the truth and beauty and goodness that we were made for. You're told today, brothers and sisters, and, and your priests and bishops are told today, sit down, be quiet, go away. Sit down, be quiet, go away. Well, my message on Thursday night and my message on Friday night to all of these gathered parents that were there, um, and I'm saying it to you is, hey, it's time to stand up, speak out, and push back. Stand up, speak out, push back. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to be quiet. And I'm not going to go away. I'm going to stand up, I'm going to speak out, and I'm going to push back. Why? There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. And again, we didn't choose this battle. This battle has come for us. And it's time for us to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm standing up. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Carrie says, stop saying you're sorry. You're not sorry. <laughs> you're right, I'm not. I'm going to speak out. Um, this is that Elijah moment, right? I talked about it last week. It's the Elijah moment. Make your decision. How long will you straddle the issue? You can't straddle it anymore. It's this Benedict moment, right? There's no half measures. No half measures. So if you're going to, if you have an intention of raising a family in faith, half measures won't get it done. 
Just simply going with the crowd won't get it done. Going with the crowd and just the flow of what's happening in society, just being willing to sit down and be quiet and, and go away as it, com- as it concerns our faith in, in our communities means that your kids will not be Catholic. It means that your kids won't be Catholic. That's, and, and what's at stake in that, right? As it, as it concerns how they, how they approach marriage, how they approach their own sexual identity, how they approach sexual activity, how they approach the, the way that they're going to live their lives um, uh, in, 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 a, in a relationship uh, as, as, it, as it considers an openness to life, right? I, I mean, I see it all the time. Um, just God has blessed us ex- with an extravagance with being blessed with nine children. And I have a holy jealousy when I meet families that have 10 kids or more. I really do. Yeah, it's because I, I know the richness of nine. It's not perfect. It's messy, right? Uh, and when Ariana was away, we only had five kids in the house. And it was so quiet. It was just so like, wow, <laughs> something. Just five kids here. And five kids including, yeah, five kids over a span of six years. Um, and it's, it's just beautiful, it just and and this is what I want to say is that the richness of having all of these kids in a near proximity in age just leads to I don't know so much life so much interaction so much enjoyment so much play so much uh, activity just around the home um, it, they were the kids were talking about this at our family meeting on Sunday they were like yeah like. Kids are always saying to us, boy, your house must just be a lot of fun. You just must have so much fun at your house. Because, you know, these are typically, these are kids that come from typical families that have, you know, a couple of kids in their family um, that might be, again, a few years in age difference and um, different gender. And so the uh, ability for these kids to be regularly enjoying each other is just going to be more narrow. It's just narrowed down. And so I share that with you to say, if you're young and you have an opportunity to, to be blessed by God uh, and, and you have that willingness to be open to generously receive children from God, you'll be so grateful. You'll be so grateful as the years go on. So grateful to be blessed with lots of kids. And so there's my big plug. Be open to life generously, even heroically in marriage today. But these kiddos and all children deserve to be led, provided for, and protected in, as, it, as it concerns their deepest identity, their highest purpose, the meaning of life as it concerns them. And so it's a Joseph moment. It's an Elijah moment. You got to make your decision. It's a Benedict moment. No half measures. You got to be intentional. You got to build that culture together with other families. It's a Joseph moment. You've got to flee to Egypt. He fled to Egypt, not to hide, but to rescue to save. He was rescuing his, uh, the son entrusted to him, Jesus, from a slaughter. It's a Joseph moment. And so that was actually the theme on Friday when I was talking to these wonderful folks at Our Lady Star of the Sea is find your Egypt. Find your Egypt. I know on the program in the past I have talked a lot about come to Spokane or come to Northern Idaho, Post Falls, and all of that. No, the better way of saying it is Flee to your Egypt. I don't know where that is for you, but flee to your Egypt. Your Egypt is the place where your kids are going to be safe from the slaughter. 
Your kids are going to be safe from the slaughter. And that requires a density of families that are going to walk together in faith in that Benedict option, that Benedict moment, because they've decided in an Elijah moment that I'm going to, I'm not going to sit down, be quiet, and go away. I'm going to stand up, speak out, and push back, right? So I got to see that at St. Monica's, and I got to see that so powerfully at uh, Our Lady Star of the Sea, and and only and, and in part because I was just at Star of the Sea longer. I spoke to the teachers at the grade school um, at lunchtime, and then I went over and spoke to the kids at the Aquinas Classical Academy. That's the new high school that is there. And then I spoke to the parents and some of the kids um, at night for a family formation night, and there were a couple of hundred people at that, and it was just awesome. I did. And I had a chance to visit with Father Lappy, and it was just awesome. And I'm like, Father Lappy, I said, there is something here that you have that I don't have out here in Spokane. I'm saying that out loud. You heard it. What Father Lappy has there at uh, in Bremerton is something that I don't have out here, and that is I don't have my parish providing the schooling for my kids. You see, his parish community becomes also the place where the schooling is happening at the grade school level, at the high school level, and then even for the co-ops that are there, the, the homeschool co-ops, the parish also becomes the gathering place. And so what Father Lappy, by the grace of God, has been able to discern and be willing to stand up, speak out, and push back is we're going to live our Catholic faith here at Our Lady Star of the Sea. We're going to live it in its fullness with a reverent liturgy, teaching the fullness of the faith. We're going to have lots of opportunities for uh, families to be able to come together, young people, uh, old, uh, uh, young people, young adults. We're going to bring in religious sisters uh, that give that sense of a vocation that's for them. And then we're going to turn our grade school into a classical mode of educating, and we're going to do that over time. We're going to learn and grow that, and we're going to be open to even welcome in a classical uh, high school for the kids to move into those critical ages. And so they have launched that, this Aquinas Classical Academy. And um, it was just, it was really so very beautiful just to see hundreds of families together at that, um, at uh, at that Friday night event, um, it reminded me of St. Joan of Arc. It reminded me of the biggest gatherings that I've been at around here, but it's happening at that parish where the schools are, too. And I'm like, wow, Father Lappy, man, you, God is doing something so beautiful here. I said, people are going to move to Bremerton. They just are. You're going to drive to Bremerton first, and then you're going to realize it's too hard for my kids to hang around with all these other kids and live this common way of life. And you're just going to move there. Uh, it's just going to happen. I said, <laughs> you better get ready for the lappy. All right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. You know, I, uh, I made a claim, and that claim was that uh, on these two evenings, Thursday and Friday night, I said that um, classical schools and a classical education um, is one of those signs of what the Lord is doing today. I know that sounds kind of like, what's a strange, uh, kind of a strange thing to say. Like, what do you mean God's doing that? The classical mode of educating with the trivium, grammar, logic, or dialectic and rhetoric, that's been around for 2,500 years. That goes back to Greek philosophy, Greek philosophers um, focusing in on those stages of the 
the trivium, right? The the seven liberal arts, trivium, quadrivium, but the trivium of the, the tools of learning, right? You heard me talk about that and and how the reason why the trivium is so powerful is that you end up learning how to learn and loving learning because it's respecting your human nature. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that a recovery of a classical mode of education is going to um, help bolster this sense of living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that's really what the educational uh, format, the educational goal ought to be, right? It's supposed to be aiding parents as the primary formers and educators in, in, in life to be a faithful citizen in human life and in, uh, and in the faith to be able to accomplish that. And so the thing that is so powerful about the trivium is that it involves a way of seeing, conceiving human nature. And boy, is that needed today? It is so needed. That's why I, I just say to you, if you just take a look at where are renewal, where is renewal happening around the country? Where do you see pockets of faith alive, a density of that sense of faith, families standing up, speaking out and pushing back? Often you see classical schools emerging there. And so I, I believe that classical schools are going to be magnets for families that are more intentional, that Elijah moment, families that are more uh, willing to say no half measures, that Benedict moment, families that are willing to say this classical school and the community that's around it and the parish, when that's the case, is around it, that's my Egypt. That's that's what it's going to take, is families grazing uh, kids in faith together. Um, it's It's one of those things that, for me, um, was apparent in one of the questions that came to me at the end of, of the session on um, Thursday night. On Thursday night, one of the parents said to me, um, what do I do about phones? Because I talked about how smartphones are just this conduit of filth that are just undermining and, and eviscerating the kids' lives. You heard me talk about that. I brought some of that, some of the statistics and some of the, the later research out and the impacts of it. And they're like, what do I do for my high school-age sons if I want to restrict access to phones and, and not even give them phones or give them flip phones when and then here, and I knew the rest of the story. When they go to a Catholic school and all their friends have phones, they get made fun of, they get taunted, they feel left out, they feel isolated, they feel like, Mom, why are you so extreme? That's what happens. That's what happens in the typical Catholic high school. In the classical high schools, they're smaller, and guess what? They're more intentional. So the kids that are going to show up there come from families that are living more intentionally or intentionally. And so they're going to find it's easier. They're going to find more support, a common mind, a common ability to say, we're going to fight this battle together. And all of a sudden, the kids don't feel the same pressure because guess what? They have fewer classmates and the classmates they have, they're not on the phones all the time. It's just not a thing. And so that's a hard dream to die, die to. It's a hard dream to die to. The idea that sending my kids to the typical Catholic high schools are going to have them end up facing a majority of kids that are not practicing their Catholic faith, that are not coming from faith-filled Catholic homes. It's just statistically the case. And because of that, you're going to have the world evangelizing these kids in ways that are clever, right? You've heard me talk about this, right? This clever and um, intimidating and seductive and pervasive ways of washing over kids' lives, 
right? There was just this recent like kind of a whistleblower woman from inside of Facebook that uh, came out in the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, um, maybe the New York Times, I think it was the Wall Street Journal though, about Facebook knows just how damaging its product is and yet they continue to promote it. The damage, and, and not just Facebook, but also Instagram on the, on the psyche of, of, of girls, in part, that was one of the things, but there were all these nasty effects um, that were brought up in this article. And, and it's like, well, Facebook knows this. And it's like, wow, let's see what happens here. But parents, we've got to know this. We've got to get in front of this. We've, be, we've got to fight this battle together. And so dying to that dream of saying, gosh, at that bigger school, you know, you're going to have uh, more mature educational paths. You're going to have greater sports opportunities. Maybe there's going to be greater chances for scholarships or, or just the dream of what high school life was supposed to be like. That's not a thing anymore. It's, it's not what you think it is, parents. It's just not. If you don't believe me, you just got to go walk the halls. You just got to check it out. Um, Carrie went to a, um, a high school football game on Friday night because there's some um, uh, students that we know, some friends of our friends of our kids were playing in the in the game, and these are two big public high schools. And she was just like um, went there and just chose to go st- uh, stand where a lot of the students were, and it was like ugh, the language, the swearing, the dress code, the the uh, gestures. These two kids just making out right in front of everybody. And she said, hey, break it up. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Carrie, good for you, Carrie. Stand up, speak out, push back. Uh, you think this is okay? You think this is an okay thing to do here in public? Don't do that. And, uh, and it's like, she's like, where are all the teachers? Where are the administrators? Where are the school, of it, you know, the, 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 the st- school staff here to kind of keep these kids in line? Not happening. And I was just like, wow. So that idea of dying to a dream means, it means that we have to take more serious action. So I'm going to come back around to that these are meaningful moments more than we wanted and asking for things that we didn't expect to have to give. We didn't want to choose to have to give, but it's now being asked of us. And the question is, are we going to give it? Are we going to give it? Are we going to give it in a way that's respectful of human nature? And that's what I say the trivium offers, right? It's expect it's respecting human nature. Well, first of all, I mentioned grammar, logic, and rhetoric. What is that? That that's respecting human nature as involving a memory and reason and a will, and actually associating that with how kids are learning, right? In the younger years through memorizing things, and the in the tween years, uh, teaching them about reason and logic and dialectic, and then uh, in their later high school years, uh, learning how to persuade, uh, you know, the will and, and emotions and imagination, and using using those things to uh, persuade. Um, what they have learned as the rules of the road and, and how to how to reason in the midst of them. So it's, oh yeah, by the way, then it's also respecting the age and stage of development of those kids to realize that this is part of how, in fact, God um, has made kids. In addition to that, you you have this beautiful sense when this classical school is happening in the context of faith, right? Catholic faith or Christian faith, you have the, the reality, this beautiful principle that grace builds on nature, Grace builds on nature. What does that mean? It means, well, your human nature, 
that we just talked about it here is having ages and stages of development and having a memory and intellect and will and and that you've got to teach kids how to learn and um, how to it, they're the wild garden right you got to uproot some weeds and you got to transplant things and you got to sow other seeds and you got to till the soil and you got to prune things right that's that's the human nature that you're growing but God's grace is going to build off of that so if you can give them an appreciation for truth and beauty and goodness at a human level a human level appreciation for truth and beauty and goodness, then you are disposing them, readying them, giving them a wider foundation, a broader foundation, a stronger foundation, where God's grace is going to elevate that human nature into a supernatural status. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, what that means is, for instance, on the one hand, if you have a um, if you have a sensitivity to human beauty as it shows up in poetry and art in music in great works right great works of literature or art music and other uh, drama other uh, performing arts um, the human sensibility and, and a mature appreciation for human expressions of beauty are going to uh, uh, dispose you and attune you to the beauty of God to the beauty of our Heavenly Father, the beauty of the spiritual life, the beautiful truths of our faith. And, and you could do the same thing as it concerns um, reason and the development of human reason and, the, and how do you come to know things? How do you come to know things? And so, again, if you recognize that we live in a time that focuses on a scientific mode of knowing to the detriment of a more philosophical mode of knowing. You've heard me talk about the surgeon versus the spectator, the one who's analyzing versus the one who's contemplating in wonder, the, you know, the surgeon who is um, uh, slicing and dicing in order to get on the inside versus the spectator, the one who's standing before a uh, fireworks display, right? Those are ways of, that, 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 guess what? That's a classical mode of helping Young people understand where true knowledge comes from, and a lot of the knowledge of faith is coming from a mode of knowing that um, is not uh, is not exhausted by the scientific stance. But you wouldn't get that if you didn't have a classical education. All right, I'm at the end of my program. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. I'll pick up on this theme tomorrow on Sound Insight.